0: Greetings weirdos. Uh, we are here with one of the one of the best friends of Weird Religion, Dr. Roger Nam, who is the dean of Portland Seminary at George Fox University and also professor of biblical studies. He is a Hebrew Bible scholar or no, no. You yeah, are, yeah. okay, I couldn't remember. I was like, am I saying that? And also a specialist in Ezra Nima, Nehemiah. And he is the person who recommended, first recommended the show Ugly Delicious to me. Um, and so we're really excited to have you. Welcome to the show, Dean Thank you. In,
1: in studio too. Great in to be studio. here. Rare to have people in studio here in this in this weird space.
0: Yes. And on the theme of food, Dr. Nam brought us um really delicious um homemade <laughs> ice cream sandwiches from stores, which is a barbecue um, place really close to our university. Like artisanal they are delicious. ice cream sandwiches. Yes, so, we're having a Christmas Brian, cream,
2: cream. You were actually serious. You wanted to eat this on air. I want to eat already, it. No, I want to <laughs> eat it while we're talking. I already <laughs> ate mine. I'm I
1: done. know, that's I, I did not know you were I serious told, about I it. I told everyone, I told these two, I said, Don't eat it yet. We have to eat <laughs> it while we're talking. I finished yeah. mine.
0: Like, I have like and one. And you looked by, at me like
1: skeptically, like what was that look about?
0: Well, okay, I'll tell you what it's about. Is yeah. that my dad hates hearing people eat. And so I was having this um, weird childhood flashback.
1: Well, people, you know. Brian's dad Sorry, clearly dad. didn't have that experience because he's looks pretty comfortable mm-hmm, right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. I think you gotta I think there's certain things you gotta put up with in life, and one of those things is hearing other people eat. hmm mm-hmm. Roger, what's your favorite food? Pizza. <laughs> well, that's nice. just delicious. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, I think so.
0: Oh, what kind?
2: I like them all—the thin, the thick, Chicago, lots of stuff like the the white sauce. You Ooh, know, yeah. I, I like it all. Alfredo.
0: Then you must have really liked the first episode of Ugly Delicious because it's about pizza.
2: Yeah, like I was shocked because I. David Chang's this kind of mega celebrity high chef, and we know about him. We read about him. We see him on TV, and to see him like really contend for Domino's, that was ah, a real, I love that part. No, a real right.
1: shocker. Right, right. <laughs> <in episode laughs> they're not snobs. That's the thing.
0: I loved. I actually really loved that because there's a scene in the in the documentary where he orders Domino's to like this fancy pizza place and they all eat it. And I think they liked it. Yeah, and
2: he's talking to a celebrity chef, Bud, say, "This is, isn't is this great? Tell me this
1: isn't a great combination right here. Mm-hmm. Well, and the guy goes, well, it is good, but it's not pizza.
0: <laughs> I know. That's such a hipster response.
1: <laughs> Let us pose to you, Roger, a question we were talking about earlier about authenticity that, that the show Ugly Delicious raised just about like food cultures. Like David Chang said, quote, authenticity is overrated. And another character was talking about how you know, authenticity maybe like in storytelling or something like that, or in friendship is good, but like with food, it is not to be desired. Reflect on that quote. Do you think is authenticity overrated in food food cultures? Do you think? Yeah. Well, food is evolving and it changes.
2: And uh, David is speaking from a second generation Korean American place. His parents immigrated. They created what they could of Korean food, but the options weren't there mm. back, even in the major cities like New York or DC. And so they had to create. What they could of Korean food and that's kind of how this assimilation, this fusion begins. It's actually kind of weird. And one thing I really related with David is just the way that Korean food became so universal and ubiquitous Mm -hmm. in the last decade even. It's just kind of weird for
1: us to see because it was strange food when we were growing up.
0: That's fascinating. You mean
1: growing up in a Korean family, you didn't see Korean food like out, like you didn't see Korean tacos or things like that? I, I was
2: literally in Whole Foods two days ago with my kid and there was kimchi and something. I don't I don't even remember what it was like, stuffing or something. And it was oh, just, interesting. it's always so weird still for me yeah. to see kimchi at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and Fred Myers and all these mm-hmm. grocery stores. Do yeah. you think
0: about like how that must be so different for your children. So if it was weird when you were a child, and now your children is just growing up, and it's Korean food is kind of like the
1: it's super hip, yeah, koi, the hip super food. koi fusion, koi fusion, that's yeah, right. that's amazing. Yeah, it's Taco delicious. cart owned
2: yeah. by Koreans, and yeah. So my kids grew up; they're growing up in Oregon. They are uh, ten or fifteen right now, and they've always shamelessly loved Korean food. It's it's kind of different for us. Like it was. Now, David talks about it a little bit in the episode. It's embarrassing. It kind of mm. smells funny. It's very garlicky. <laughs> it's uh, A lot of it's fermented. A mm. lot of it uh, just smells different from the mm. American kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was always kind of embarrassing. You have to explain it a little <laughs> bit. It was deemed disgusting. And we just never knew that until we went to lunch at the elementary school when we, we popped open some— you know, little sardine with a fish head. Mm. And that's like super gross, apparently.
1: (laughs) Right. You didn't know until that moment. Yeah, yeah. It was just normalized for us. What was the, you spent a year when you were on sabbatical with your family in Korea. What was that like in terms of being a food odyssey for you? Was it, did it feel normal? Did it feel strange? Oh my, okay. So you know Yelp, right? You know Yelp, Yelp. yes.
2: So imagine Yelp with like a delivery app and you have the reviews, but you just, you have a menu and just press a few things on your phone. Then twenty minutes they deliver everything. They've charged Whoa. your card, oh. and then an hour later they pick up the dishes from
1: you. What? Is, yeah. So they a, they don't give you disposable dishes. They give you real dishes. Yeah. And then yeah, they, and they, they pick them up. You just put them outside your apartment door, and they pick them up. after. Wow. It's, after it's like day. it's like room service at your house in a
2: hotel. And they have multiple apps like that, that, that is They compete awesome. with each other. It is pretty amazing. So before, so if you want to do like Chinese food, you'll get like twenty different restaurants. You'll read the reviews, get their menus, get their pricing. And you just choose one, and you they deliver. Whoa! Yeah, so that odyssey was pretty good. It was good to see my kids, you know, experience a wider range of Korean food. Mm. Obviously, Oregon doesn't have the same types right. of choices. Uh, it's interesting where they went to school. They went to an international school for kids of Korean descent, mm-hmm. and they had both Western and Korean options every day for lunch. Ooh. And for them to explore, you know, what cuisine was like in Korea.
0: Wow! Now I know you've done a lot of writing because you've you've worked on Ezra Nehemiah on biblical communities and, and um, diasporas and communities in transition when you were experiencing, you know, your sabbatical life or even when you maybe were watching ugly delicious, did you reflect on, you know, like the biblical stories about like ancient Israel at all, or I don't know
2: Yeah, yeah. Actually, it didn't start sabbatical on Ezra Nehemiah. It ended up there, and a lot of that was because of our return to Korea. So, Ezra Nehemiah, if you don't know, like, Ezra begins, they have, um, uh, the, the temple was destroyed, and Cyrus comes, and he conquers the Babylonians, and he says, hey, you all can go back to your lands and build your temples. And that happened to be 47 years after the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. So, it happened in 539. And then I went on sabbatical in 2014. My mom and dad actually immigrated in 1967, so they released quotas on Asians immigrating to the States in the mid-60s. My mom and dad were part of that first big wave of East Asians, and so it ended up, I returned to Korea on sabbatical with my third generation Korean-American kids 47 years after my mom and dad had immigrated, and so... I was going to write a book on diaspora economies, and there is so much about identity that I just witnessed in my own kids, wow. playing in the neighborhood with other Korean kids, and meeting relatives that were still in Korea, and speaking the Korean language, and enjoying their food. That made me think there's a lot in identity, and I think it's a totalizing force in interpreting this, this particular book of the Bible.
0: Wow. That's really amazing. I, I sort of want to ask Brian a question about that, too, because I know your daughter's Like, do they, like, how does food relate to your multicultural family? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, so my my father-in-law is immigrated to the United States from Puerto Rico when he was five years old, like on the lap of his, I think one of his aunts or his cousins. And when he met my mother-in-law, who's like a white is white can be woman from Oklahoma, one of the first things that she had to do when they, you know, were married is she had to learn how to make Puerto Rican rice and beans from my father-in-law's mom.
0: Wow. You know, what, so a, what a ritual but that she's must she's actually, no,
1: she's really good at it though now. And of course then Susan, uh, you know, grew up, my wife grew up making that. And then that just became a part of our food life, you know, and our daughters love rice and beans too. But I mean, that's, that's kind of like the main thing. That's like the kimchi of Puerto Rico. It's mm. like rice and beans. Mm. And so, you know, I don't know, like, I don't know that we ever made like such a big deal about it, but we did like have like last Christmas, we had like rice and beans on Christmas day. Like that's the meal basically mm. yeah, and, and empanadas and things like that. So. Um, or we had some, some kind of Puerto Rican thing, I forgot, but rice and beans is like the staple, you know, that we had. So yeah, that's, I mean, ugly delicious makes this point over and over again about how food travels and about how food is history. Like food is never just itself. Um, and I think, you know, even points about assimilation, like if, if a conquered people comes in and brings its food, it's not just that one side gets affected, but both sides get affected. Everybody gets affected in a food clash, you know everybody eats each other's food.
2: Hmm. Right. There's a there's a section in Ezra that as we're talking a little bit about food and identity, those those worlds in the Bible, as you know, Brian, aren't often mixed together in biblical texts. The exception would probably be some of the like kosher laws that have been talked about since the 70s about what constitutes identity and what constitutes what we eat. But there's one verse in Ezra that kind of relates and like Ezra is such a closed text in a certain way. Like they're really sharp in defining who is in mm. and who is outside the community, and they do this through building a wall. They do this through lists. They do this through the language that they speak. But there's one kind of random verse that kind of subverts that. And Ezra six twenty one. It actually talks about the Passover. Mm-hmm. The Passover is a meal that you celebrate, but the Passover is celebrated by everyone, not just the Judeans that mm. return, which is a real contrast to most of Ezra and Nehemiah. Anyone from any nation that worships the Lord is invited to celebrate the Passover. And I didn't wow. even think about that until talking to you two, that this is a meal that they're celebrating together, a Passover celebration.
0: That is extraordinary. Do you think that, is there? Is there any sort of, meal that we do? I mean, often people think about Thanksgiving, although that has a problematic history. Um, But is there any sort of common meal that we all experience that might be that open?
2: In Christian culture?
0: Maybe, or American? I I don't
2: know that. I, I didn't... So the Korean church is different, like... So when my parents grew up, or when when I grew up with my parents just immigrating, the church was an all-day affair, and it smelled like a Korean place. Mm. The church (laughs) smells like Korea. And so this was a part, it's kind of hard to believe now. We grew up in San Jose. There are just a handful of Korean kids, like less than five in the entire school. But the Sunday was where we can go to church, and we can kind of speak Korean. Not we, Mm. my parents, I should say, the first generation. And there was so much food, and it was part of every service. So it wasn't a special service or a special celebration, but it was just the regular ritual every Sunday. You have lunch there and you have Korean food every single time. And it was just part of a way, I think, for the Korean immigrants to kind of get through and navigate their kind of challenging life, Mm. be with each other. And there's also business opportunities as well. when they gather together more ways that they can combine resources and kind of give each other positions and jobs and kind of talk about each other's businesses.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that – do churches where – like do second-generation churches or churches with populations that include more second-generation, do they still keep up that – that eating together, the all-day church experience?
2: Not the second-generation church. The Mm. first generation, like still today, 2018, there's still tons of Koreans immigrating here and coming, and they still keep up that. So our church has Korean meals pretty much every Sunday, Mm. special ones on Thanksgiving and holidays. But the second generation is different. We grew up with more options. We grew up with an affinity for all sorts of different foods. So that isn't quite there. I I do see a lot of the second generation hold on to that heritage where they might— uh, depart from other parts of their Korean identity, and I think part of it it was just the rise of Korean food in the American culture. Yeah. It's just such a popular, well known, and well regarded food now.
0: That's really interesting because we were talking earlier about um, potluck culture, church potluck culture.
2: Yeah, um,
0: and I grew up in a working class community where we had tons of church potlucks, but um, I think that that type of culture in you know my particular role. American context is on the decline, which I, to me seems very sad because there was something kind of wonderful about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was a pastor's kid, but lots of kids in the church They just grew up where you'd spend hours just running around the church, eating, you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) Whatever they give you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The last potluck that I attended or one of the last ones that I've been at, I don't want to say which church or even where this is or how long ago. (laughs) Uh But there were so few people that actually brought food that the church ended up raiding its own food pantry bank to put out food (laughs) for the potluck.
0: (laughs) Well, I will say I think part of that. People didn't bring
1: anything. People didn't. People weren't doing it. They weren't doing the thing.
0: Part of it has to do, I think, with the idea that there are more two-income households. So, it's mm. like, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, there were the, – many of the families in the church had more traditional gender roles. So, like, the women would, like, cook the stuff and bring right, it. Right, right, And so, you know, speaking as one of the women now, I'm just like, oh, let's go to the store because <laughs> you're just tired, yeah. you know? Yeah,
1: nobody wants to do anything that's even remotely a hassle, I think.
0: That's true, really, too. Anymore. That's true, <laughs> it's just, too. Life is too we
1: – need, we need that app. That app you're talking about. It's a pretty yeah. amazing app. Yeah. Where you can just clickety-click-click Holy stuff.
0: Holy smokes, yeah. Why
1: can't we import that? I, I what, think would be great idea. What kinds of Korean food do you think Americans should be eating that they're not eating right now? There are a lot of like really good marinated vegetables that are like healthier
2: and that last. There are a lot of like people think of kimchi. You have your idea. they are like literally over a hundred types of kimchi. And I think oh, Americans need to expand their kimchi wow. repertoire and stuff. Yes. There's a museum of kimchi in Seoul. Really? They're, so yeah, what's literally. so
1: when I think of like like when I ask for kimchi on my Korean taco at Koi Fusion, what's what's that kind? Is that that's the, the main staple kind of this kind of napa cabbage? Is this fermented vinegary. The, Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. It's good. So you have it with different vegetables.
2: You have different. Uh, fermentation processes, different levels of spiciness, some that are
1: completely white and not spicy at all. Mm. I had no idea. Okay, so different kinds of kimchi. Marinated vegetables.
0: I think what we need to do is just do an episode from Seoul. I think that's the conclusion we should come yes, to. Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> and maybe
1: we could go from Seoul to and, and you've traveled a lot, Roger. Just even at, in your capacity as dean and as a scholar, like what are some of the places you've traveled where you just when you think about the food, you just go into a food coma revelry. <laughs> this is
2: weird. This is, this probably sounds a little weird, but my, by far my favorite is Seoul, Korea. Like that's I just awesome. like going oh, nice. back, and I'm just so comfortable. There's so much I can eat, and it's there all the time. It is a great food city but I just don't get sick of Korean food it's it's fine for me I don't know how much you'll like it by day seven I've got
0: a question like (laughs) if that's the best what is the low point of food culture like places where because you travel a lot you've been to a lot of different places
2: yeah okay so I never like I just enjoy anything I don't um but I will say, when I go to places without a lot of asian Asiany food, like mm-hmm. after a few days, the first thing I'll do when I come home—I didn't even realize this—I thought about that. As soon as I come home, after like five or six days in Wisconsin or Indiana, mm. I will, I will <laughs> raid, <laughs> my fair home state, yeah, that's Wisconsin, right, that's right. which is great. Well, but you know, I will raid the refrigerator for something Koreanish, like something Instant with taste, or something. something with taste in it.
0: You're like I've been to the Golden Corral. Six times, <laughs> yeah. it's time for me to get something else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never been to the Golden Corral.
0: If oh, yeah. don't, don't go to the Golden Corral.
1: <laughs> it's one of those places you walk out and it's like you feel guilty somehow, even though you haven't done a moral wrong. It's just you feel bad. I've well, never been
2: to Cracker Barrel. Is that what it's called? <laughs> Cracker Barrel.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, Cracker Barrel's a breakfast. I, yeah. I would say it's a breakfast I've never thing. been to Shoney's.
0: Uh, uh, no reason to do that. No reason to do my that. My wife, my wife Anything wants. Anything else like Denny? My wife all wants in my
1: mythology of like other places to eat that I just never went to that <laughs> seem Rural white like, culture. Yeah, white. <laughs> Susan once broke up with a boyfriend in a Shoney's. She
0: <laughs> did? That yeah. sounds that's, about right. That's a country song waiting that's to be read. That's what written. you do. You just take him to
1: Shoney's and it's like, I'm yeah. sorry, this isn't happening. She
0: sat me down in a Shoney's. Shoney's. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Now
1: I need to go to Shoney's.
0: She pushed, I pushed oh, the totally napkin
1: true. away.
0: You know, I mean, you said, it's not committing a sin. I would actually counter that because there is not one buffet type restaurant, speaking of like Golden Corral, that I have not overeaten in because mm. I'm like, I, this costs $9. You got to get your it money's $12. worth.
1: $12. Poverty culture. Exactly. <laughs> Go <into> the,
2: <laughs> you got it. You got to make it worth it. See, the Koreans out, like, they bring plastic pockets
1: and stuff. That so, is awesome.
0: Yeah. Great idea.
1: Roger, it's been so cool to have you in here. I'm so happy to talk about this. I'm so hungry now.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've given us desires
1: that
2: we cannot fulfill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate (laughs) that. And I will go uh, replenish my ice cream sandwich
1: somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for
0: adding your biblical expertise to our conversation.
1: And thanks for the ice cream sandwich. You're welcome on both. Most of all.